0: are listening to Elder Law Answers for Attorneys. Elder Law Answers is the leading provider of web-based practice development tools for Elder Law Attorneys. We help firms reach clients with tools designed by Elder Law Attorneys for Elder Law Attorneys. I'm Rebecca Hobbs, the National Director of Elder Law Answers and a practicing Elder Law Attorney in the Philadelphia area. In each episode of Elder Law Answers for Attorneys, we will chat with leading experts in the field of Elder Law marketing, and practice development. So welcome. Today we are continuing our conversation with Barbara Mancini. In our prior episode, we heard from Barbara and she told us her personal journey with her father and the problems that arose during his hospice care at the end of his life. If you missed that episode, make sure you go back and listen. Um, So that way you can kind of have the background for the topic that we're going to be discussing today. Um, so, t- today we're going to focus on how to advise your clients on hospice providers, um, which hospice providers to choose, kind of what questions to ask, and what we should do when our clients are not getting the services that they're entitled to. So, Barbara, welcome and thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you ha- for having me, Rebecca. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So in our previous podcast, you know, we talked about your dad and we talked about the care that he was getting through hospice. Um, and we talked about the problems, some of the problems that arose in that situation. How can people feel confident that when they are selecting a hospice provider and hospice care that they're going to get proper care?
1: Well, that's a real issue. Uh, my father's nightmare began with the hospice. I just assumed that the hospice would do what they were supposed to do. But as I learned, that's a flawed assumption to make. Mm -hmm. Without question, my biggest regret was that I didn't do more to research hospice care. And this is an important issue for elder law attorneys to know, because you might be advising clients and their loved ones on this very issue.
0: Well, tell me a little bit, so for, for listeners maybe that aren't as familiar with hospice or, or what it is, can you just kind of explain to them what, what is hospice? When we're talking about hospice, what do we mean?
1: Yeah, hospital is a model of end-of-life care, and it's, it's based on the philosophy that every person has the right to die pain-free and with dignity, and families and caregivers will receive the necessary support that they need during the person's dying process. So it's, it's a good philosophy. To qualify for hospice care, a healthcare provider must certify that a person has six months or less to live. The hospice model uses a team approach. So that includes uh, physicians, nurses, uh, medical social workers, pastoral or spiritual care workers, nursing aides, uh, volunteers are involved and they provide medical supplies and equipment. So that's basically, in a nutshell, what hospice is. Medicare and most health insurances will pay for hospice care.
0: Okay. Now, tell us a little bit about, you know, in what setting is hospice provided? Where can individuals receive that level of care?
1: Well, the vast majority of hospice care is provided in people's homes. And in that setting, the family does the actual caregiving, and the hospice acts like a support service. So this level is called what what they call routine home care and the hospice gets paid $190 a day for that for the first 60 days. And after that they get $150 a day, but there are other levels of hospice care available. There's a a level called general inpatient care, and that's for people who have higher levels where they need more pain control or symptom management. And that can't be managed in other settings at that level of care, the hospice, is paid $735 a day. And then there's a level called continuous home care. And that's usually only used for very brief periods of crisis to still allow the person to remain at home. And the hospice receives $965 a day for that. Okay. So, you know, I would say the underlying philosophy of hospice care, you know, for providing comfort and support for the dying person, their loved ones is a vital end of life care option. Mm-hmm. The problem is that hospices vary greatly in the quality of care that they provide.
0: Okay. So tell me a little bit, so when we're talking about hospice care, um, and we have kind of an idea of all the different, you know, places that the hospice care can be provided, you know, inpatient, at home, what, what kind of services are they actually providing? Um, and, and who's regulating those
1: services? Well, by law, hospices are required to provide all of the care related to a terminal illness. So it's it's not meant to be curative care. Okay. It's palliative care, which means the focus of care is to control pain and manage distressing symptoms associated with the dying process. So that could be, you know, in addition to pain, it could be shortness of breath, uh, nausea or vomiting, emotional distress, anxiety, those kinds of things. And- hospices that do that well are very good at that Mm -hmm. hospice care is regulated under federal law specifically it's under 42 CFR that's the code of federal regulations chapter four and they're under the direction of CMS centers for Medicare and Medicaid services under the department of health and human services.
0: Okay. Now walk me through. So let's say that we're in a situation or a client is in this situation where our loved one or the client um, wants to choose hospice care. Um, What are the important things that we should know or we should be telling our clients that they need to find out or need to know before they make that selection?
1: Well, the Code of Federal Regulations enumerates the many responsibilities of hospices and the rights of the patients. I mean, I've read the entire thing. It's pretty long and dense, and you wouldn't expect more people to (laughs) read it. And I think all the regulations are important, but there are a few that I consider absolutely crucial. And one of them is this. The patient has the right to receive effective pain management and symptom control. I mean, that's really the reason why hospices exist. They have the right to get that. Another crucial uh, regulation is that the hospice must provide care that optimizes the person's comfort and dignity, and the patient needs and goals are the priority. Another crucial one, nursing services, physician services, and drugs must be made routinely available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And another crucial one is that the hospice must ensure that the drugs meet the needs of the dying patient. So those four right there, if they're doing that correctly, they'll be doing pretty good hospice care.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, tell me a little bit about, so we mentioned that, you know, insurance sometimes will cover hospice, Medicare. Um those are different ways. Is that primarily how hospice is getting paid is through Medicare and insurance?
1: Yes. Um, Medicare and almost all health insurance, Medicaid will pay for hospice care and, and private insurances. Most of them do that. Okay. So that's the payment is, is usually covered for most people, but it's right. the way that hospices get reimbursed for their services. That's created some difficulties. Now, and this is also in the Code of Federal Regulations. It's written into the law. A hospice is paid for each day that the person is enrolled in hospice care, regardless of whether they receive any services on a given day. Hmm. So, for example, if a hospice, a home hospice patient is getting hospice services two days out of the week, that hospice still gets paid for seven days out of the week. Hmm. And that lasts for as long as the person's enrolled in hospice care. The idea behind this payment structure was a good one. It was to ensure that hospices would have the resources to address perhaps a sudden escalation in pain or worsening symptoms, even if they occurred at 2 a.m. on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, this payment system has created incentives for hospices to minimize their services. They're going to get paid every single day, whether or not they provide the services. Right. Right. And this payment structure has led to the explosive growth of for-profit hospices, and they now dominate the industry. And two-thirds of hospice companies are now Mm for-profits. And if you hear the money, you you can understand why. In 2017 alone, Medicare paid nearly $18 billion for hospice care. Wow. So there's lots of money to be made in the hospice market.
0: Yeah. So... Other than kind of the, the payment structure, and obviously, too, you know, with your story, um, we can see that there are times that hospice can go wrong and, and there can be problems. You know, what are some more common problems that you see with the care that hospice provides?
1: Well, it's really quality care issues. Now, and I know that many, many people are satisfied with their hospice care. Before my family's ordeal, I had never heard anything negative about it. Mm -hmm. And most of the literature that you read about hospice care speaks of it only in glowing terms. Right. But I've since learned, obviously, that problems with hospice care are more widespread than I had imagined. Now, I've done a number of speaking events throughout the country. And many times I've been approached by people who also had difficult hospice experiences now, I realize that's anecdotal uh, reports. You know, it's not factual data. But in 2014, the Washington Post did a full series of investigative articles that examined problems with quality care in hospice. And it brought a lot of these problems to light. I mean, that, that series was, I think, 12 or 14 articles specifically devoted to hospice quality issues. Mm-hmm. But I still didn't know how pervasive it was until last July, 2018, the Office of the Inspector General of Health and Human Services released a very critical 41-page report about problems of uh, quality care in hospices. Now, this report looked at hospice care over a 12-year period up till 2017. So they were looking at a lot of data. And what they found is that hospices do not always provide the needed services to people who are dying, and sometimes provide very poor quality care. They found cases where hospices were not able to effectively manage the person's symptoms or their medicines, leaving people in unnecessary pain for many days. And in the report, they cited multiple examples. I mean, I'm only gonna mention two of them, but the reports available online, and I talk about that in my book, but one of the, the uh, examples that jumped out at me was where a hospice billed Medicare for a 101 year old patient for 16 days in general inpatient care. And that's remember where the hospice is getting paid $735 a day for that. Mm-hmm. This, this unfortunate elderly man had un- un- uncontrolled pain throughout 16 days. Mm-hmm. And the hospice did not change his pain medicine until the last day. Hmm. And there was another example that they cited uh, of the several examples where a hospice billed for 17 days of general inpatient care, again at $735 a day for someone Mm -hmm. who was in a nursing home, a 70 year old person, but never visited him.
0: Hmm.
1: Instead, the hospice called his family to inquire how he was doing. So hmm. they're pretty outrageous examples, and I'm certainly not yeah. saying all hospice care is like that, but it certainly gives you reason right. to pause. So right. as, a, as a result of this report, the inspector general re- recommended that much greater oversight of hospices needed to be done to ensure mm-hmm. that they comply with the federal standards listed in the Code of Federal Regulations. Right. Those standards are very comprehensive. And any hospice that meets those standards would be providing high-quality care.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, that report was in 2018, you mentioned. So has there been any any more reporting or anything else released since that 2018 report?
1: Well, yes, there has. Okay. <laughs> Just last month, again, in uh, July 2019, the Inspector General released another two-part report on hospice care. Okay. And the first part looked at hospice deficiencies. And the second part looked at specific instances of harm caused by hospices to patients under their care. And again, they were not, it wasn't pretty. Uh, The authors of the report concluded, again, that greater oversight of hospices is needed. And also they concluded that there needs to be some way to sanction poorly performing hospice providers because right now the only remedy allowed by law to address the poor performers is to remove that hospice's Medicare certification. And that's a move that rarely happens. And that you probably are aware of that in dealing with nursing homes too. Um, The inspector general also recommended that more information be publicly disclosed about hospice performance. Consumers need to have this information and specifically They need to know about care deficiencies and complaints lodged against particular hospice providers. And right now we don't have Mm -hmm. the ability to get that information.
0: So, you know, in in our first episode, we talked a little bit about how, you know, looking back and and you mentioned to the beginning of this episode that you hadn't asked the right questions um, or done the research when you had been picking out what hospice provider to use for your father. And, you know, that's a situation that a lot of people find themselves in because sometimes people don't realize they even have a choice as to which hospice (laughs) provider to use because, you know, they find their loved one, uh, you know, is end of life. Maybe they're already in a nursing home. Maybe they're at a hospital. And I have found with a lot of my clients that a list is provided to them of, you know, these are the hospice providers that work with our facility or, this is the hospice provider we use and they go with just the, the recommendation of the hospital or the nursing home or another healthcare facility. And sometimes that recommendation works out very well for them. Um, but a lot of people, like I said, they just don't know that they do have a choice. So what do you recommend? I mean, for, what do people need to know when they're considering hospice and, and who to pick for hospice care?
1: Well, I think you made a very good point there. I mean, and this is what we did with my dad. I I never gave a second thought to uh, questioning the hospice provider that was recommended to my dad. Mm -hmm. It never entered my mind. I think it's clear if you have clients or their loved ones who are facing a terminal illness, they must choose a hospice carefully. I would say as carefully as you're going to choose a doctor. Mm -hmm. So some things that they can do are to ask for recommendations Particularly for from someone who's had experience with a particular hospice. Now that option is not available to everyone. Another thing that uh, people can do is go onto Medicare.gov. They have a tool called Hospice Compare. It, they have a it's similar to Nursing Home Compare, and you can get some information about specific hospices on Hospice Compare. Now. I consider that a starting point, mm-hmm. but it also has limited value because the hospices do self-reporting on their quality care measures. Okay. So, I mean, how honest are they going to be? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Right. Right. Um, but one one good thing that they have allowed on there is they do allow comments by family members to be posted. So, you know, I would think that'd be a little more helpful. Mm-hmm. But I, I really think the best thing to do is to interview prospective hospices before you choose a provider.
0: Okay. Now, what kind of questions should we be? So, you know, when we talk about interviewing, a lot of people are going to say, I, I don't even, where do I start? I don't even know what questions I should be asking or, or what, you know, information I should be looking into. Do you have some recommendations on questions?
1: Yeah, I do. And I have a comprehensive list in my book, but I have some some questions here that we can go over. The first thing I would say is that a hospice should readily accommodate a request for an interview before you or your loved one enrolls. And if they equivocate about that at all, I would consider that to be a red flag.
0: Okay.
1: So what specific questions? First, I would ask, is staff available 24 hours a day, seven days a week? I mean, by law, they're supposed to be. That's Mm -hmm. what the law says but that doesn't happen in a lot of cases. So I would particularly want to know what, did, what do they do about weekend coverage and holiday coverage? Okay. Another question I would wanna ask is how do they ensure that the patients under their care obtain their desired level of comfort? Listen to what they're gonna say about that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Another question, who is going to direct the care of that hospice patient? Will it be the primary care physician or a hospice physician? It could be either one. And you need to know who's calling the shots because if there's a problem that comes up, you need to know who's directing the care. Mm -hmm. Another question is what education does the hospice provide for the patient and their caregivers? And of course this is related to people who are getting home hospice care. Because remember in home hospice care, It's the family providing the care to the dying loved one. And the hospice is acting as a support service. So if you expect family caregivers to take care of their dying loved one, they have to know what to do. Mm -hmm. So they need some education. Another question. Will the hospice ever override a patient's advance directive? And if they answer yes to that, You want to know under what circumstances they would do that. Right. Another question. How many patient and caregiver complaints did the hospice receive in the last year? And how did they resolve those complaints? So you want to see how openly they're going to be talking about those kinds of issues too.
0: Right. Right.
1: Another question. How many patients and caregivers terminated that hospice services? And what were the reasons? Now, there can be very benign reasons for terminating a a hospice services. Some people outlive their terminal diagnosis and no longer need hospice care. But other times people terminate hospice care because they're very dissatisfied with the care. So you want to know what that's all about.
0: Right, right. Now, one of the questions you mentioned had to do with who was directing care as far as a doctor um, at, like through the hospice or a primary care physician. Is there a better option there that people should be looking for? Is one better than the other?
1: Well, again, that depends. Now, I made the assumption that the hospice physician where my father was enrolled was a specialist in hospice care. And she was not, and she was minimally involved in my father's care. She had a busy internal medicine practice and had a busy nursing home practice. Um, so you, you just can't assume that the person who's providing hosp- the physician providing the hospice physician care is someone who is certified in hospice and palliative care. I At a convention, I met a, a hospice and palliative physician who told me she first got into it when she was a cardiology resident. And she knew nothing hmm. about hospice and palliative care and had to learn on the go. Okay. <laughs> um, so some of the people serving as hospice physicians are moonlighting from other jobs. That's something you would want to know. If the primary right. care physician is directing it, well, a lot of primary care physicians have a lot of experience with end-of-life issues. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them have long standing relationships with their patients. So, you know, that's something you have to evaluate on a case by case basis. If if you're comfortable with your primary care provider and they're aware of your loved one's values and wishes, uh, that could be a very good fit for the person directing the care. So, again, that's it's an it depends kind of answer. Right.
0: Right. OK. Now, Barbara, you know, what are your, from, from being through this with your father and from, you know, through all your advocacy work and hearing lots of stories, I'm sure, from others who have had bad experiences and good experiences, what are you, your final recommendations to our listeners, you know, when they're looking at hospice care and end-of-life care?
1: Uh, well, before I get into that, there's one more question I want to recommend people ask. Sure. and And that question would be, is the particular hospice concerned about opiate addiction in their patients? Okay. Okay. And if the answer is yes, I would say run, don't walk away from that hospice. Now, opiate addiction is a real problem in our society, Mm -hmm. but the centers for disease uh, CDC specifically exempts cancer patients and the terminally ill from any restrictions in prescribing opiate pain relievers. So no one, should be concerned about opiate addiction in the dying. So I just wanted to make that point.
0: Yeah, now, no, very
1: Yeah. So my recommendations, finally, for this, I would say the best end-of-life care is care that's based on an individual person's values and wishes, and that differs from one person to the next. So if the goals of care are based on those values and wishes, the person is going to get good care to that end, it is essential for people to have those very important end of life discussions about their wishes and their goals of care. And of course, to put them in writing. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned earlier, it's really important to be as well informed as possible about your rights and about the responsibilities of the hospice that you entrust your end of life care to.
0: Now, Barbara, I know that you've been working hard on a book that is coming out this fall. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, my book is called Cruel Death, Heartless Aftermath. And it's what I would call an investigative memoir. It it is my story of my father and me. And I also did an in-depth examination of all the issues that created this ordeal uh, for my family at the end of my father's life. And it's going to be published in uh, fall, around late September, by Sunbury Press. So it'll be available, you know, on Amazon or any of the book selling sites, hopefully in bookstores. And I'm going to have a website up where it can be purchased. So my name is Barbara Mancini, M-A-N-C-I-N-I. I am on LinkedIn if anyone wants to contact me there or they'll be able to contact me through my website. Uh, there's a lot of good information I've packed into this book. Uh, I've worked on it for a long time. And I think all of your readers will find it instructive and helpful in uh navigating some of these end of life uh minefields we all have to go through
0: yeah yeah well great well barbara thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your tips on selecting hospice care um and thank you all for listening today to elder law answers for attorneys if you enjoyed today's episode make sure to share it with a friend or a colleague And please subscribe on iTunes. You can find all of our past episodes at podcast.elderlawanswers.com. See you next time.